This is the How'd You Do It podcast, and I'm your host, Lyle Wilkes. I believe that people have more to offer and knowledge to share than they ever give themselves credit for. So with that, my goal is to deep dive into the success stories of business owners, entrepreneurs, and community icons so they can share the road they traveled and what they learned along the way. the episode one of how'd you do it podcast um, this is the podcast where we talk about people and their stories and how they got to where they are i believe that everyone out there has a lot more knowledge and truth to share than what they give themselves credit for and that's what we want to talk about and that's what we're after is trying to fi- find out what it was that made them different and succeed and today we've got my good friend jimmy parsons uh, long time in the mortgage industry with Guild Mortgage, and we talk about his road. And I'm telling you, there is a ton of gold nuggets, sales insights, and it's pretty amazing all the things he's accomplished uh, over the years. So let's get right into it. So we've got Jimmy Parsons with Guild Mortgage on. I'm super happy to have you here, um, especially on the first one. You know, yeah, thank I feel, you. I feel like you know it's it's full circle because like me and you connected early in my career. And now we're starting something new, kind of doing something together again. You've had a huge influence on me. Um, And I look up to you and respect you a lot. And I think that you have a lot of wisdom and knowledge and experience in the industry of the mortgage industry. And I I want to I want the people to know about it. You know, Well, thank you. I remember it was about five years ago. We met six and I was looking at at you and I was like, man, this guy's a go getter. I got to meet him. Right. And here we are. Right. No, I would have laughed at you. And we said that before we got on here. Was it like if you would have told me two years ago that I'd be a TikTok person with like the light (laughs) and doing Instagram reels and now a podcast, I would have laughed. But I mean, yeah, thankful for the road. That's right. So I I really want to know, like, how you got started in the mortgage industry. Was it something that like you just went to career day and saw the the guy dressed up real nice and was like, yeah, I definitely want to do that when I. Yeah, absolutely not. Right. (laughs) Nobody enters the mortgage business by choice. Okay. I would say that. That's the that's the old adage is, you know, uh, nobody graduates college in mortgage lending. Okay. so, you know, I did have a finance degree and I did have a, a concentration in real estate. But, uh, you know, when I graduated back in the early 90s, the job market was tough. Okay. And it took me six months to get a job, even with a grad, you know, college So you were jobless right out of college. Yeah, yeah. So I landed at uh, Colonial Mortgage Company, which was headquartered here in Montgomery, Alabama. And I got hired as a bankruptcy clerk in the mortgage servicing division. So like I had to take the calls of all the people that were in bankruptcy and help them, you know, figure out how to pay their mortgage payment, what we couldn't, couldn't do. And all. How was so that? that? Was, was it, what was the experience like with the bankruptcy side of things? Was it like being thrown to the wolves and just dealing with everybody in bad situations or was like, what was, what was that like? Well, you know, it was a good time back then. So like there was only like a 2%, oh. you know, uh, delinquency rate. So my job was, Super boring. Oh, okay. But you know, you know, I was making like twelve, thirteen thousand dollars a year. <laughs> my first job it was enough yeah. to get my own apartment, yeah. and I was pumped. Right yeah. back then, you know, I got a job. It was pumped. But but saying that, like, that's when I entered the mortgage business. Okay. Right. So I I I have uh, done nothing except for a little stint outside the mortgage business trying to run my own car dealership was a complete failure. What 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 made you want to do that? Uh, yeah. the dot com boom. 
so what was your what was your idea of how did the dot com boom and the car? So business? I was going to sell cars on the internet. Oh, so you were like an early before AutoTrader.com like, came say, out. Auto yeah. that's so, a, hey, you were just a little early. I man. was too yeah. early. I didn't know how to do it, but we had a I had a website called AutoBrokers.com, and we we're going to take orders on it and deliver on it. You know, using the internet as an yeah. ordering system to take out the middleman and way too early and way too young and uh it didn't work out so got back in the mortgage business okay but yeah so that's all i've ever known but i've got a did you go back to colonial yes okay yes so i worked at colonial and um really got a the overall picture of how the business works so you know it's not just origination i cut my teeth in the servicing area also learning the secondary market when you say servicing it. area, what is like so servicing after, the after yes. you close on it? Yes, okay. after you close on the loan, you got to make your payments. You got to escrows. You got to, you know, all those things. And so actually I worked my way up to manage the default section of the service. So anybody that couldn't make their mortgage payments, you know. Did that come from the bankruptcy history? Yes. Yeah. So I just okay. worked my way up through that. Um, and then, uh, you know, worked in, and I, and I'm, met a guy he was really i was really good at that i met a guy he came down and he worked on the retail side and he was running you know we were going to kind of revamp or restart or grow the the retail side of the mortgage company at, through colonial bank and he pulled me in his office one day and he said you know what you don't want to be in the servicing business in this industry your whole life you want to be on the retail side that's the that's the side where you can be most successful, make the most money. I want to pull you over here. And I was like, thought about it for like all of 30 minutes, right? Said, I'm in. Okay. I'm in. Yeah. So he kind of took me under his wing. And what year was this? This was in the early 2000s. Okay. So like 2002, three years. Yes. Okay. 2002, 2003. And from that, from under his tutelage, I learned the the front side of the mortgage. And industry. when you say front side retail, what you're talking about is direct to consumer. So like if yes. I need a loan, I'm calling you That's down right. versus you were in the background in the shadows, right. making sure everything worked out. Right. God forbid I have bankruptcy. I would deal right. with you at that point. So Went basically going from an operational side of the business to the sales side. Okay. Of the what was the difference? Like, like, because before you're basically, I'm, I'm picturing like you're in a room just running numbers all day and then, you know, saying yes or no on the loan to the retail guy. What was the difference to you like when you went from the servicing side to the retail and started dealing directly with the consumer? Was it like a big culture shock for you as far as like how you how you operated or? Yeah. You know what? You know, I like there was a lot. There's a lot more action in the sales. Yeah. Right. So sure, it's boring. I mean, I, I look, you cannot survive without amazing operational people. And some people really enjoy the steadiness and the security and are awesome operational people. Yeah. I'm not built that way. Yeah. I like creativity. I like excitement. I like the adrenaline of production. Sure. Like I realized early on that you could not feel my appetite of production. Like yeah. I wanted to produce, I, it tapped into your competitive nature. Like if you're yeah. a semi-competitive person, you want to be in sales because- So you're like a, yeah, like a high- A rider. high achiever yes. type yeah. uh, personality, uh, almost like a not afraid of risk type personality. So it fit me. 
Yeah. And man, we just took off. And so underneath uh, his guidance and his tutelage, we actually totally revamped the retail division of Colonial Bank back then. It was great. Were they just not doing that much at the um, they time? They weren't doing that much volume. It was kind of losing money. And we began recruiting and bringing on teams from um, other uh, other mortgage companies. We built a fantastic team, brought them all in, and really just started producing. And then, of course, if you can think about that time in our industry, it was not as regulated as it is now. And it was right, you know, it was yeah, in that boom, right? Yeah, Pre-2007. Yes. Yeah, or 2008, so depending on how you Anybody that was, here's what I see, any, any people, anybody that was in the sales side of the mortgage business, early 2000s to now are OGs. Yeah. Right? We've seen it all. Yeah. <laughs> because in that time, it was, it was the wild, wild west. Right. I've heard stories. You yeah. Got, you got any, some cool stories. As far I do. I mean, like yeah. we, you know, if you remember, there was a company called Countrywide and they were the yeah. number one mortgage company. They had this program called the Fast and Easy. Okay. All right. So like you could literally, I could talk to you on the phone. You, I'd say, how much do you make? You tell me how much you make. Great. I pull your credit. Looks good. All right. How much do you have to put down on the house? I got this. Okay, great. You're approved. That was it. That was it. This no, was before 2008. This is before the crash. Uh, and you will get approved. And then, you know, appraisals were unregulated. So literally, we could just say, that you, I have this appraiser, Mr. Appraiser. This is the contract price. It needs to come in at this price. There was no panel. You know, it was totally unregulated. And it created the biggest oh, yeah. lending yeah. bubble in the history of the world, quite frankly. Yeah. And then, you know, I was in charge of we were a correspondent lender which means we'd take in the loans and we'd sell them off to yeah. uh, a, a correspondent relationship and so i was in charge of so y'all didn't do the servicing side no okay we were complete originate sell okay and so i managed the uh the relationships with all these companies that we would sell these products to also helped motivate and recruit the, the production team and all that, bringing new products. And what was crazy is, you know, the secondary marketing piece back then was completely unregulated, which blew What do you mean up. by secondary marketing? So yeah. secondary marketing, you know, well, the way a mortgage works is you make a mortgage and it's pulled into a security yeah. and, it, and, it, and then it's sold on Wall Street, basically, and people can invest into it in yeah. a simpler term. So, yeah. you know, it's not that it's not an instrument where a, a bank just keeps it on their books. You know, that's a rare thing. But the majority of mortgages are made and put into a security of like, uh, like, uh, like, um, basically like mortgages and tranches, and then they're pooled into a bunch of them, the millions of dollars worth. And then they're put out on the secondary market and it's almost like, hey, here's a pool of of annuities or so that's paying this rate. Yeah. You know, you can invest into it and then you get like, you know, yeah, you know, the interest on it. Okay. And so back then the securities that they would pull together were made up of all kinds of crap fast and easy you know it's like they yeah. they you know they were just thrown in there and then they would go out into the world 
and say, hey, here's a pool of $10 million, $10 billion, $10 million uh, an investment is paying, you know, this much money you want to invest into it. And so you had like, you know, municipalities, hedge funds, governments, you know, you know, all kinds of pension funds investing into these pools. Gotcha. And then when those were, I guess you could call them like the foundation of those loans weren't right. good when it's, yeah. Imagine billions and billions of dollars invested into this security that was supposed to pay back in a certain way yeah. that was deemed triple a rated okay yeah right and so you know you got these lenders i mean back in those days domino's pizza guys would just like i'm gonna be a lender and they'd get in call centers and just like just sling lines to people i mean you didn't have to be licensed it was just the wild wild west. so it really was a wild wild west it was a wild wild west two feet heartbeat you got a loan plus you get a loan after you get the loan you can be a loan officer too if you want to nobody's checking yeah. if the actual person can has the ability to repay it nobody can is checking to see if the value of the of the property is even actual real value and and what was crazy is like you would come to me this is this is what was people were doing especially like in florida and the panhandle and all yeah. You'd come to me and say, all right, Jimmy, I'm going to buy this house for $350,000. I make X, I make X, no doc, no assets, whatever. We'd write the loan to you. 30 days later, you'd sell it for 400 because if somebody else would come in, you know, it was just a big, a big flipping opportunity. Well, as far as for the houses. Yeah, themselves. man. Yeah. People were just like, boom, boom. Oh, in 90 days, I can make $30,000, $40,000. And you saw this just big bubble being, being yeah. up. Now. And then all of a sudden, uh, people just, it crashed. Yeah. Right? It slowed down. People couldn't pay it. And then you see the trickle. Well, because a lot of those loans were maturing at that point, right? It was like there were all the loans. People yeah. started missing their payments. All of a sudden, it was like a house of cards falling, right? All of a sudden, these big, huge securities well, yeah. with all these major investors, all of a sudden, they weren't getting paid on their money. So when they did, were losing money. Where were you at? And like, do you remember like the feeling like, like you, cause, uh, Oh, what's the movie? The Big Short, right? Yes. Like you know, when everyone like that one scene where it just all kind of just yes. So crashes. I'm in the so, middle of it. Yeah. So where were you at, and what was it like? Like okay. it's knowing when it finally kicked in for you yes. that like this is bad. It's it's so again I mentioned earlier. So I kind of managed the relationships on the correspondence side. At the same time, you know, there was a big commercial thing, you know, a commercial lending issue, yeah. and you know, Colonial Bank was on the are we going to make it list? Remember so many bank failures yeah. in 2008. And all of a sudden I'd come into work and let's say one of our correspondents was Chase. Chase was like, Hey, I know you got a $20 million worth of locks that you're delivering to me. We're cutting you off. So I have to go back all the sales force and say, we can't deliver these lungs to Chase anymore. We're going to have to move them to Wells. Right. Week later, Wells, Wells would be like, "Hey, we're 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 not very comfortable with what's happening with Colonial Bank. We're going to cut you off." And I have to go back and say, "You're going to have to go back to all these people in process and tell them they don't qualify anymore because we're having to switch it to U.S. Bank, oh, and U.S. Bank has different regulations." I didn't think about that. In different, yeah, that's where it would start, and that's what you experience. You were kind of on the front lines. Front line, yeah. So. You know, in the meantime, bank executives are telling us everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine. What sabotaged Colonial Bank back then? I think we were 
almost okay to make it through. There's a whole bunch. I could talk to you for hours about yeah. things, but in a general, Colonial also had a separate relationship with, you know, Colonial was a lender to other mortgage companies to help fund their operations. So we had the retail division, which we were direct to consumer, but we also made loans to mortgage companies so they could fund their operations. So not only were y'all struggling, but you were lending money to other mortgage companies that were struggling as and, well. And and this was all on, you know, there's a, I think there's actually a documentary on this. There was a mortgage company called Taylor Bean and Whitaker back then. Okay. okay? And we had the warehouse line. I think it was like a five, it was five billion whatever warehouse line out to them okay well <clears throat> they were got to a point where they were fraudulently making mortgages it's like almost chitin checks but chitin mortgage notes okay through our warehouse line and the, the bank it. operation the treasurer and all that they didn't know it because there was one employee at, at colonial that managed that that was in on it oh so I remember, like, here we are on the retail side, a like Trojan horse listen, yeah. Over there. So yeah. we're here on the retail side. We're struggling. We're trying to get clients in homes. We're like, we're going to get through this. You know, rallying everybody. We're, you know, every day is a struggle to how can we solve? You know, we got twenty million dollars of of loans. You know, how can we put this here? How can we put this there? I'm talking with all these relationships, saying, "Come on, come on, we can do this." We're also trying to figure out how to keep things afloat. You know. Of course, keep the team together. Yeah. LOs are freaking out, you know, yeah. because you can just see it every day. A bank's failing. Come to the office one day. My boss walks into me. He's pale white. He goes, the FBI just raided the warehouse division down in Florida. I said, the FBI? Just FBI. Shut it all down. Wouldn't let the employees out. And we're like, what the hell? What's going nuts. on? Yeah. How is this? And the FBI had caught them. Okay. So, so the the that was it. Five billion credit line shot, and that was it. The bank imploded, right? So we got seized by the government. Um, now that the, the person, the president of that mortgage company, um, you can look him up. His name was Lee Farkas. He's in jail. Oh, he is. Okay. Still in jail. Yeah. And then I think the person that was responsible for it was kind of in cahoots with him yeah, that worked at Colonial. Yeah, yeah. I think she may still be in jail or may have just got out. But like okay. that's that was that was a long you know it was over what that fifteen years ago. Gosh, I guess it has been fifteen. Yeah, yeah. fifteen. So you know that you know so Colonial was one of the companies that just blew up, got taken over by the government. Every single individual within that organization above me. I mean, I was like a VP, whatever, but gone. Boom. So what Just would, so, hightailed it out. And I'm sitting there, I would come into work and I was like, what the hell? And then, of course, you know, we got all these teams and retail teams. We had branches in Montgomery, branches in Florida and all that. I was like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And they just started, everybody started looking out for themselves. And so everybody separated. And I just hung around because I had to because I had personal family issues going on at the same time. I needed income. So you were still getting paid through all of this. So like you still yes. kind of had a job. Even I kind of had a job. The sky's falling apart around you. Didn't you know my future. And yeah. it was like, this was the bottom for me. Like, yeah. so 
uh, had you know, family issues, had nobody above me, nobody to counsel me, had no clue if I was even going to make my next house payment. I was alone at that time, yeah. right? So I had just started a family. That blew up. So I, so I was alone. And I remember coming home at night, getting in my closet, literally on my knees, crying. Yeah. What am I going to do? God, the whole world, in my world, the mortgage industry has completely blown up. And it's all I've ever known. I don't know what to do. Lost my family, lost my job. Yeah. You know, it's a rock bottom situation and you're terrified and you have really nothing to lean on except prayer. That's what I did. And um, so we were taken over, the, at that time we were taking over by BB&T, who is now Truist Bank. Yeah. And they came in and man, you just, you know, they were very guarded because they really didn't know like, who was involved in the fraud? Who wasn't involved with the fraud? Was it the warehouse line? Did the retail people know about it? All this, a lot of investigation going on. I got offered uh, a job to be a, a, a pretty good job. I said, hey, we want to move you out to Texas and let you run the region for Texas because you're, you know, we've, and I'm like, I can't do that right now. Things are falling apart yeah. at home. Can you make me a, a produce? I'll produce here in Montgomery and, I, you know, so I was a producing manager for BB&T in Montgomery and, you know, uh, pretty good little operation in a kill. So, so you went from, just so I'm tracking, the, the, you were over the sales force, we'll call it. Kind of, yeah. yeah. I was like a second guy in charge. It was like a, it was like a dotted line. Okay. Right? Yeah. To, to the yeah. president. But yeah. so at Colonial Bank, like the secondary marketing where we would, you know, I had that. I had, you know, payroll, like, you know, administration type things. Yeah. I had, you know, we, we would just kind of work. I worked hand in hand with the president. We were a small operation. Yeah. And I worked with the managers of the teams and the LOs to help them resolve problems and help them sure. recruit. And all that. But I personally did not produce. So you decided that that was like to stay where you're at, like, no to Texas, and you're just you wanted to be a producer. I got to produce. Why? Why do you think you wanted to produce? Why didn't you want to go back into like a leadership role? Because because to me, like like was it more like a you wanted like to maybe have some control over maybe what was, you I, well know, after first the, of all, the so, sky's falling. It's like what can I control? It's like I can control how many phone calls. Well, there's a lot of fear going yeah. on right there, but that was my only option though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's like you either go to Texas yeah. and have a non-producing role, or you stay here and uh, you have a producing role. I'm staying here. I had I had some personal things I had to. Yeah. You know, ultimately, if I wanted to keep a relationship with my kid, I'm staying yeah. here. So it was personal. And, but the thing about it is, again, you know, in, in those moments, in those rock bottom moments, and in all that fear, and of course, you know, the mortgage business is cyclical. I've been through the ups and downs, yeah. and we're having, we've had one, you know, 2023. That's where you find it where you're made of. Oh, yeah. And so I had, you know, been put into a position to say, all right, like, let's see what I'm made of. All right. And I think once you go through something like that and come out on top, all it does is make you stronger. Like, ah, I can get through that. The crash of 2008 and actually produce like crazy and make myself into like number two. Yeah. Yeah. So it, let's it, say, it, let's yeah. say like in 2008, nine and 10, 
Like, yeah. so you just left your non-producing job, like your leadership role. Now you're like, okay, it's time to go hunt. Yep. Like what was like the first plan of action? Like, what did you, like, what would you decide to do? So back then, okay. You gotta remember the re the, the realtors were toast. Yeah. It was, you think it was bad for me. Like nobody's buying homes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Nobody. Nobody. And if you're a realtor back then and you're still in the business, you know, how they make they part-time jobs not because the homes home sales were done yeah for a while so um we the nice thing about then and the difference between then and now is the government came in and saved the they had the housing the housing industry in america is so important to the economy as a whole the housing market crashes the the world crashes yeah. just so you know and so the government were like was like we cannot let the housing market crash any further so they put in backstops and support low yeah. rate they created all these programs for people who couldn't make their mortgage payment it's called a harp refinance and all that. so um we could do a lot of things to keep clients in their homes back then so you know so the realtors didn't have any houses. So the realtors, busy, like, I was staying busy, restructuring, refinancing, okay. harp loans, all that. But at the same time, I, I started tapping into the local realtors at the same time because I did want to, I did, I was like, I'm going to, because again, it tapped into my appetite. It was like, oh, hell, like there's no cap in my business. Like. There's, that's the exciting part about sales. There's no ceiling. Nope. The more I produce, the more I make. And I, and I, at that time in my life, I needed it. I needed a lot of, um, money. I needed a lot of production. I needed to, and I saw it as a major opportunity, right? So a lot of people left the business. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, and it tapped into it. And I started going crazy. Um, and uh started producing and started meeting people and started building client base and all that and you know i was really good at it yeah and learned that i was good at it so it's good it's fun right it is fun it yeah. is fun when you finally like i think even in in my business like when i first started like it was it was probably definitely more of a mindset of transaction right yeah and so because like you're hungry like you're, you're, you you want to chase that ceiling that doesn't exist right? right it's like how far can we push it right but to me the sh the, the shift and and when i started really enjoying it and even getting better at it was when i realized it was relationships and we can have yes. fun along the it's way fun yeah and it feels good to help people yes it feels good to help people but it also feels good to like you know find like-minded people that are hustling with you like that's how me and you kind of yeah, right? yeah it's like oh this is cool let's do this together yeah right let's go let's go let's go dominate let's go be number one and <laughs> let's go be number one in the yeah. market together yeah. let's do it you know and you get excited about it and it's fun and the nice thing about our industry is those that have that mindset they're not afraid there's no ceiling yeah if you're really good at it okay. and you just take all your passion and energy and everything you got into it. So I did that right off the bat out of hunger and need and desperation. Necessity at that point. But yeah. then I realized I was good at it. Yeah. And I, in the, the company I was with at that time also realized I was good at it. And I had like a moonshot back up the chain. Okay. Which looking back, 
was fine at the time, but, but, you know, when somebody come, I mean, you were working for a big company like that, a big bank, and they come and say, hey, we would like to make you manager over Alabama. Hey, we would like to make you manager over a group. Hey, we would like to be, you kind of like, are like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's cool. And you keep thinking that you're going to climb this ladder uh, and it's going to be amazing the further up you go. And so I got to a point where like, we want you to, and here comes around Texas again. You did a great job with the state of Alabama and the panhandle of Florida. Profitable. You built this team up. It's awesome. We want you to go do the same thing for us in the state of Texas. Okay. All right. And I'm thinking. So they hit you with it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the same time, I have been, I've been getting, you know, in our world, if you're good at what you do, you get recruited all the time. Yeah. So I've been getting recruited by uh, a guy with, at Gill Mortgage Company at the same time. And I told him, you know, he, I loved it. I loved him. And I said, I'm going to go and just give this Texas thing a shot. So you did actually move. I did. I did. I did I like I, yeah, okay. I, I, I dipped my toe in it. I told my family is like, we're not going to root up the family just yet because I have my issues, you know, with the yeah. bank, the way the bank operates in the mortgage business. Okay. Nothing against people out there that are listening to the work of the bank, but it's just different. Just not for you. Yeah. Not for me. Yeah. And so, um, so I was having issues, but I thought to myself, okay, this is a pretty big promotion. I'm basically up there with the big dogs, the decision makers. Maybe I yeah, can influence yeah. plus the challenge of like, I don't know anything about the state of Texas and they're putting me over there and like, I'm going to just go build the mortgage group in that state. So massive, fun challenge. Yeah. And... You know, so I dipped my toe in. So I would do the whole back and forth thing because um, I wasn't ready to root up my family. By the way, the cost of living in Austin, Texas is not the same no, as no, the cost it's, of living. It's li crazy. Right? I love that place. It's actually. a great place. I love place. Texas in general, but it's expensive. Exactly. There. And I think we're just spoiled here in Alabama. I think so, anyway. too. I mean, yeah. We're, I think we're like number four or five on the cheapest place to live in America. Yes. So, so what you can live <laughs> and do in Alabama, and but you make a, the same salary in Texas, is a completely different lifestyle. So that was one of the things. But ultimately, I got to a position where I realized, like, this is not how the mortgage business can work optimally. So you saw opportunity where you saw the, the... I didn't like it. You didn't like just the way the banking structure and the way they handled I everything? I didn't like it. Too much red tape. To me, no offense to anybody. <laughs> Again, too many bankers involved in the mortgage business. Okay. Bankers don't understand the mortgage business. Gotcha. That's So you almost had two things fighting against each other, like oil yeah. and water almost. Yeah. So I'm like, I can't do this anymore. It's just too much. And so the gentleman who I work for now uh, called me back. Uh, I actually reached out to him and said, hey, you remember us talking about oh. you know, 18 months ago? I, 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 I was like, I'm ready to make calls. a change. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, all right. <laughs> so, you know, I did have a lot of different options, but, the, you know, this was about eight years ago. And the company I'm working for now, Guild Mortgage, is was the best move in my life okay greatest mortgage company love everything about it the culture the everything i got it and it was perfect and guess what came back said you know what i want i'm gonna i'm i like producing one thing i will say this to anybody in sales in any industry the never remove yourself too far from the client if you're in sales right once you get two three levels away from the client and you become some sort of like 
middle manager type person, number one, you kind of lose touch of what, what, what's needed on a daily basis for your sales team. But number two, hey, you're expendable when things get, you know, mortgage business is up and down and up and down. And the further you are away from the client, and I guess I learned this back, you know, going through the cycles, the further you away from the client, the less control you have on your future. But if you are close to the client, and this is in any sales source, if you are close to the client, you have your book of business, it didn't matter what happens to that company, right? Yeah. I am my own sales I never person. thought of it that way, but you're a hundred percent right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter. As long as you're close to what doesn't matter. The hand that's feeding you, so to speak, you don't have to worry about it. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, anybody that's in sales needs to understand that principle. Like, never get too far away from the client. Huh. Gotcha. Right. And 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 then love treat your clients. Uh, way better than you want to be treated, you know, keep in touch with them, have systems and processes in place where, you know, you, that's, that's your, um, your little nest egg, right? That's, that's, that's what, where yeah, it is. You got to love on those clients and keep up with them. That's one of the them. biggest things that in my business and just personal life in general was you always hear like the giver's game, right? Yeah. You always hear of that, but you really buy into that and embrace it like it's amazing what can happen like you thought right. your ceiling was here but then it just becomes like right there because, right you know i mean right. it's 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 nuts so if you're in sales you know you, you have to stay with the client in in and the second thing is know who your clients are yeah. like a lot of people in my industry get it wrong who i do you know why because they don't see realtors as the client yeah i see realtors as my client now my clients that i put in homes are my clients so are my realtors. And so you have to be able to be able to add value to both yeah. constantly yeah. and be thinking about like, what can I do today to not only help my, my people in the pipeline that need a house, but also help the people that are, that are working alongside those people. Yeah. You know, so you always need to be thinking about that. And, um, so here, are, here we are, man. Yeah. Yeah. You like, know, here we are. When did you start, um, because I know you've got some pretty big titles, you know, as far as, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you've had some great accomplishments. Like when did that start? Cause when did the move to guild mortgage happen? Eight years ago, eight years ago. So that's in 20 or almost 24. So what would that be? So 20, 15, 15, 16, 15, 16, 16, yeah. 15, 16. When did you start like building your, we'll call it the brand Jimmy knows mortgage Yeah. in, in guild. When did so that, that was at guild. So that's yeah. one of the things I've seen. It's like a little bit different. Yeah at an independent mortgage company in the bank. At an independent mortgage company, they give you the creativity yeah. to build your own brand, yeah. you know, to have local processing and local underwriting and build your team out and, you know, kind of, you know, be more of an entrepreneur, yeah. which is what I am. I'm a very creative person. I'm always forward thinking. I always like, you know, uh, what can I do in this market that nobody else is doing? Yeah. And, you know, with an independent mortgage company, they kind of give you the freedom to do that. Do you, real quick on that, do you feel like, because I, I've, I feel like I'm always like, how can I do it bigger and better? What mm -hmm. can I do different? What, like, how can I separate myself? Do you feel like you get in the, caught in that trap of reinventing the wheel? Have you done that? Like for me, like I try, like sometimes I feel like I get that shiny object syndrome, right? right? Yeah. Like where it's like, it oh, happen. I'm, I'm going to go do this one thing. And, but then I realize it's like, all I have to do is just be more efficient. That's what got me here. Yeah. Right. So did, did, did you ever yeah. fall into those? Yeah. Yeah. And I've learned, I've learned, uh, that's what I call juice. Okay. Right, I got to explain right. this to you. All right. All right. So in any sales, most people want to get 
to a certain level just using the juice or the shiny object or yeah. the what's going to make me separate out. Can't do that, right? Yeah. And that's where a lot of people get caught in chasing this new thing, you know, this new thing, this thing that's going to... So juice is important, but yeah. you cannot have the juice without the fundamentals. Yeah. Like if you're in sports. Oh, yeah. Right? So you yeah. played sports. So like, yeah. like in football. First thing you got to do is block and tackle. You yeah. can't be afraid to get hit. Like if you can't block and tackle, you don't get to play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This fundamentals. Oh, for sure. For sure. Then if you can show your coaching staff that you can block and tackle, you're not afraid to get hit, then you get to play. And then if you get to play, then we'll figure out what position and we'll teach you little nuances of that position yeah. that'll make you make plays. Yeah. All right. So think about it in sales. You cannot play in sales. You will never be good in sales if you cannot master the fundamentals. Now, in sports, block and tackle. What would you call the fundamentals? Fundamentals. Fundamentals of sales. Phone calls. Pick up the phone and call people. Whether it's whether it's um, cold calling, warm calling, calling clients, calling people who can send you business. Get on the phone and call them. Um, have meetings with people. Right to to pitch whatever it is you're going to pitch get face to face um have uh, uh good sales consultations with clients call past clients but phone calls text you know prospecting yeah. basic prospecting will never go away in sales yeah. and people don't like that cuz it's uh, not it's boring it's not flashy it's not flashy and so they're like it's kind of like that you know you know, uh, Nick Saban says, right? Everybody wants the championship. Everybody wants to see their name in lights, but nobody wants to do what it takes to get there. Yeah. And Kobe, all the greats say you, that. You study any successful person at anything, and they just mastered and did more of the mundane stuff, the fundamentals yeah. than anyone else. And like I even, um, with the, the agents, you know, with my company, like I tell them like the only differentiator between the producers and non-producers are the top producers have more conversations per day right. than anyone else. Right. That's all it is. Hey. And we want to overcomplicate it and try to do all these shiny objects and the juice, right? That's right. all because it's we fun. We want the juice. But you're right. You got to have the fundamentals. So you got to have the fundamentals. That's number one priority. And trying to add juice without fundamentals is only going to frustrate you in sales. Yeah. But. Adding a little juice on top of the fundamentals is the differentiating factor that makes people even greater than, um, you know, the normal average person. So, for instance, let's say you're mastering the fundamentals, non-negotiable in sales every day. You you got to be prospecting at least an hour a day, yeah. every day. Agreed. And if yeah. you can't do that, then you probably don't get to play. You're going to have a mediocre career in sales. Yeah. At minimum, one hour a day, just phone call prospecting. Whether you're a realtor, mortgage loan officer, selling cut code knives, I don't Toilet care. Toilet paper doesn't right. matter. Right. Yeah. You have to prospect. And a lot of people are just like, I just can't do that. Fine. You, shouldn't, you don't get to play. Go go, go find another job. Yeah. Then, though, you have to think to yourself, what's going to make me a little bit differentiated? It's going to make me a little bit different, a little bit better that somebody else isn't doing. And a lot of people can, so it's almost like a supplement to your workout. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So for some people, it's, I'm going to create the best buyer consult, uh, consulting meeting, uh, of all time. 
yeah. right? Some of it's the way they do that. Some of it's, you know, I'm going to be an uh, uh, industry, I'm going to be known as an industry educator and I'm going to do, you know, teach the best CE classes of all time. Yeah. Some of them, I'm going to be a whiz at social media. And, it, and so, but whatever that juice is, if you want to be great, then like pick one or two things and then just be, can yeah. I cuss? Like be a yeah. badass at it. Yes. Right. Yeah. So I mean, it's like, yeah. And that's kind of me. Like I, like I've, I've made some mistakes along the way by too mm. much juice. Too right? much juice. Because like right. I, I've always been, I mean, I built my entire book of business off of cold calling. Right. Like that, that's, I mean, that's how our the first middles. conversation. Yeah. Right. I, that's all I did was cold call. But then I started like doing all these different things and it took away from my fundamentals. Right. And also I feel like the, the metaphor of if you're, you're, you're on an island, right. And there's islands surrounding you. And if you want to make progress, you start building one bridge and stay on that one bridge. Mm -hmm. You don't start with 10 bridges. Right. And that's what I did. Right. Like I was flipping houses, rental properties, yeah. Airbnbs, all these different you get, things. You can't be good at and it. No, no. You're mediocre at all of it. Because right. I'm a big believer that like you wake up with 100% of energy, right? Right. And you only get to divvy up that 100% energy. You don't get any more. You don't get any less. And so if you're getting, you're putting 10% of your energy into each one of these buckets, you're only going to get 10% out. Right. And people are shocked. It's like, well, I'm doing all these things. I'm yeah. not profitable. I'm like, right. of course you're not. Right. So yeah. imagine the, the salesperson out there that's like, I'm going to put everything I got in a social media platform. Yeah. I'm going to do this and this and this. Yeah. And it takes up so much of their time and energy. They totally even don't prospect. Yeah. Because that's boring, right? Oh, it does. Yeah. yeah. And so then they like done all the social media and all that. And their stuff looks maybe a little bit better than your average Joe. Yeah. And they're like, golly, why am our sales failing? Well, because you've totally neglected fundamentals it's like this that's like the football player why am i get why am i not getting any playing time why you can't block and tackle you've forgotten the fundamentals yeah he looks so good while he's failing but yeah. right that's why you're getting knocked <laughs> on your butt every game so it's like if i could say anybody any salesperson like if you're going to focus on something because your sales are failing focus on mastering the fundamental master that before you go off and try to master social media or you know i'm not going to you know, I got a little juice that I keep secret. You, yeah. you, you're, you're a, you're a recipient of some of sure, it. Sure, sure. But it's yeah. like nobody I know does what I do. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not just talking about locally. I'm talking about nationally. Yeah. Like the juice that you add, but the fundamentals are the fundamentals. You got to master that. But the juice that I add to my fundamentals, when you add that, why not? And it has to be one, maybe one or two things. All you can do. Why not be like the best in the world at it Anything, or the most consistent uh, in the world yeah, at it? Yeah. Yeah. Consistency in the best. That's yeah. where, that's where you go from good to great. Yeah. For sure. Right. So, you know, if you're out there and you're in sales and you're like, okay, what should I do? Master the fundamentals first. Understand what that means. Cause a lot of people don't even realize what it takes. I was just about to say that a lot of people confuse the fundamentals with the juice, right? Yeah. Because so many realtors that come in and I talk with and, and they're like, well, I've done the social media posts. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is conversations is what builds your business. Right. Social media posts, unless that's creating a conversation, that's not going to do anything. No. You know, that's, that's exactly right. So like first, I like a lot of salespeople don't even understand what it takes to be good. Yes. Yeah. Like, and I would just give you an example. In, in the early life of, of the banking world, they were like, okay, we're going to do this thing uh, where you call 10 people a week. And like, look, bank, bank loan officers are struggling to do that. 
a lot of people. That's not going to get you anywhere calling 10 people a week. What? I, so a lot of people, uh, in a, especially in my industry, I've seen a lot of, you know, because I have recruited and coached. I'm a coach for loan officers, too. Yeah. And I and, and, and talk to a lot of them, like, first is setting the expectations of, like, you need to really understand what it takes. If you want to be good. Yes. Like, yeah. if you want to have a good lifestyle in this business and you want to grow and build a career, first of all, understanding exactly what it takes just just to play yeah a lot of people in this industry have no clue i saw a video the other day uh this guy um uh, have you ever heard of todd duncan he's a legend in the mortgage business a great the coach. name sounds familiar yeah he's anyway. had a video out there he's like you know we pulled twelve thousand mortgage loan officers uh which is a great sample size so you can get a you know, 12,000 people sample size can kind of give you an idea of what's going on in the industry. I think it was something like 94 to 96% of those 12,000 people did not call their realtor partners at least once a week. I, I, I don't even know what to say to that. Yeah. But I think the numbers That's show too, right? To There's a reason the 80 20 rule. You right. know, you have 20% of the population that always gets 80% of whatever. It does all the work. It makes right. all the money, what have you. Right. And it's because, like, it's it's the simple stuff. They figured it out. They figured out the fundamentals. It's the, right. it's the you know. Right. So That's probably what separates the, the, the top 20% is they master the fundamentals. And then once they've got that system and process down, it's become a habit. They understand, like, exactly how much you have to work yeah. and do on the prospecting side to get to yeah. generate, you know, business for yourself. Yeah. Then they've got one or two things that they've kind of icing on the cake for that. Gotcha. Gotcha. So that's definitely probably what got you to Guild. But what what awards and stuff have you won from Guild? Because I want to start from Guild. Back yeah, we got on a sales tangent, which yeah, is great. Yeah, I love, yeah, it. I love talking. But it's about sales. you, man. I want to so, make it about you. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you one of the. So I'm a, an accredited mortgage professional, which means. Um, you go through some certification training. So I did that back in like the early 2000s. Yeah. And so I've, I have I wanted to I put this in the, the thing. Yes, yeah. I'm a Willis Bryant award winner, which is only one person in the nation a year gets to win that. What year was that? Gosh, I can't remember a long time ago. That's awesome though, man. So basically you go through the National Mortgage Bankers Association, you go through like- And that's for all lenders. This isn't a guild thing. No, this is like the national- Yeah. You know, you, you can go through this certification process where you get accredited. And um, if you go, you know, there are a lot of people that just want to, you know, get a great understanding of the mortgage business. So you go through the National MBA's education. Yeah. Uh, uh, I guess whatever their group is that does that, the MBA. But um, one person a year wins it. But you got to go through like, you know, three different levels of education. You got to spend time in Washington, D.C. and like create your own mortgage company. You got to do a lot of things to, cool. to even yeah. just get to the point of getting A&P. And then uh, it was really cool to get that award. So I was kind of proud of that in my early career. But at Guild, you know, we have um, we were a really good job of recognizing top performers. Yeah. So since 2018, I've been in either the president's or the chairman's circle. 
Okay. So. And president and street, what's the difference between the two? Is it, is it based off like volume that you do? Volume. Okay. Which one's volume. better? Yeah. The chairman's club is, yeah, it's like a minimum of 50 million in purchase. It's like in 2000. It's a lot of loans considering in Alabama, the average, our, our, it's 244,000 last month was average sales right. price. So in 2000 and slinging loans, 20, man. I did 99 million in personal production. And in 2021, I did 88 million in personal production. That's so usually, so, but, but, so chairman's club, both of those times, but you know, heck, that's a good year. That's a good those year. Were good years. Yeah. Um, it's not like you're selling million dollar home. Like the loans no. you're writing are million, $2 million home. 250, loans. 270 that's, is your average loan. That's so it. It's a that's, lot, that's a lot of, of production. Yeah. How do you um, manage that production? So I obviously have a team, right? There's no way I could do How many myself. people are on your team? So I have a, I have a, what I call it, uh, uh, loan partner one okay. and I have a loan partner two. So um, my loan partner one helps me from lead to the contract. So, you know, it starts out with a client coming in. Hey, I'd like to purchase a house. I'll work on them, have the consultation, get them approved okay. and all that. And then they're looking for a house, right? So I have a person that helps me with the, that stage all the way up till that person goes under contract. And we're going to contract that takes it to another stage where we got a deal and a timeline, right? Yeah. yeah. And so I have an LP2 that helps, uh, helps the client and me, you know, just keeping things flowing from contract to close. We also have a processor and I also have a business development um, person that helps me think throughout my marketing and management. Okay. And then so the, that's a one, two, three, that's a five person team. Right? I think that's really, really smart taking it from the introduction to contract and then a separate person from contract to close. Yeah. Like, I think that's ingenious because like you almost, it's like for me, just dealing with clients and getting them from start to finish, it's almost, I have to wear two different hats, Yeah. you know, because right. it's, it's dealing with a contract negotiations, very, very different than what do you want to buy or sell on a home? Right. right. Like it's very, right. very two different conversations right. and two different ways you approach it. So right. kudos to you, man. That's yeah. smart. I didn't realize yeah. that. And yeah. you know, that's a, it's a, it's a concept that a lot of top performers have, you know, yeah. you, you basically what you do is you look at, you could sit there with a blank sheet. If anybody's at, look, yeah. thinking about adding a team, basically you'd sit down with a blank sheet of paper, yeah, right. And write down every single thing that needs to happen from, yeah. you know, initial contact or even before initial contact, you know, yeah. all the way to after, you know, close and beyond every little thing you can think of that needs to happen. So it's almost like you've created this assembly line. Yeah. And then on top of that, you can put like all the sales touches and nice fancy touches that also need to happen on that. And then what you do is you're like, I can't do all this by myself. So I'm going to hire somebody to do this portion and this portion and that portion. And I'm going to do this portion. And all of a sudden you've, um, you've, you've, you've been able to scale. Yeah. And, you know, one, you know, two people can do the production of three, three people can do the production of five, you know, it's kind of like that. Yeah. And plus, I feel like you would get better at your job too, mm -hmm. like whatever part of the system you're in. Yeah. And that's the thing that, that, you know, start to contract kind of what I said earlier was that how you can find that, that welcoming personality for, you know, the introduction. Right. right? And right. then when it comes to contract, it's that person, that, that rock you need, right. right? You know, to, to make sure that it's going to be okay. This is just what needs to happen yeah. next. So. Yeah. You know, and a great analogy is think about your doctor's office. Yeah. Like 
you don't always call the doctor, no. right? You don't, like, <laughs> you don't walk in and make your appointment with no. the doctor. No. You don't, you don't like, oh, oh gosh, where, you know, I need to get this and that and the other. Let me call the doctor. Like the, he's got a team of people. Like you get somebody that checks you in yeah. and make sure you're on time and you're on your appointment. Then you get somebody that like, Hey, what's going on? You know, yeah. takes the order. Doctor comes in, he's got the, all the expertise and all that, you know, so, so it's, you know, most high volume type organizations need a team of people assigned to one person. Yeah. yeah. And the nice thing about having a team though, it's like, you know, like for you, for instance, you want to partner up with me, like you send a, a client, you refer a client to me, like you and that client will have at least four people on that yeah. file at all times. Yeah. Where I do feel sorry for that single salesperson that's by themselves trying to handle all the calls, you know, make sure all the administrative things are done. You know, yeah. That person can only help so many people at one time. I've been that guy too. Yeah. Because it's like, I experienced some real burnout like a uh, year three or four of when I got into real estate, like I was crushing it, working. Yeah. I added it up. I think it was like 530 something days I worked straight. Now, not 10 hour days every day, but minimum of three or four every mm. single day. Yeah. And it's because you need, I was doing the work of two or three, four people. Right. But I only, it was just me. And so you have to work into the night. You have yeah. to get up early. And, and like, it, it yeah. also creates an inconsistency in yes. your income yeah. because what you do is I had a prospect. So you prospect, if you're by yourself, you prospect, you prospect, you get some business in the deal yeah. in the door. And now all of a sudden you have this big pipeline. Well, I got, I got to manage the pipeline if I'm going to close it. So then you got to stop prospecting and you got to do all your operational administrative things, get them, make sure that's happening. And then when you get all that done, you're like, oh no, I don't have any funnel leads coming in because I yeah. had prospecting. I call it, I see, I, I talk with a lot of agents about that. I call it like the wave of real estate, the wave of a realtor. Like you start here and the only thing you need is a client. So you work, 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 you get a client. It's like, oh, I got to find these clients' houses. So you get them houses, you get them under contract. Then you're up here at the closing table. And then all of a sudden you just fall off right. because you haven't been prospecting the whole time. Right. You know, and to me, like, you know, before I started getting some help and things like that, it was all about like time blocking like that helped me a lot but I, it quickly moved into it yeah once you know. if you want to go from just your i mean i think that's one of the things that that can help people go from like average or below average up to like a top tier is just help yeah a good person on your team that does all the things to allow the salesperson that's good at sales yes. to spend the majority of their time selling yeah we don't get i mean we don't get paid to you know, do administrative tasks because we're commissioned people, yeah, right? Yeah. We don't get paid to do all the administrative things. We get paid to bring in that's, clients and help that's, clients. That's. So we just, we want the majority of our time spent doing that. Yeah. My first real estate coach that I had, I think six years ago, that's what he really taught me the importance of like the, the dollar per hour task. Yeah. Right. Like you right. want only thing you want to be doing is the highest dollar per hour job. The rest of it delegate. Yep. Like either that or delete it entirely. Yeah. So Yeah, you know that that whole little thing I was talking about is like sign yeah. all the tasks that take. Then yeah. the next step would be uh, assign color code them. Green are the tasks that actually will generate money for you. Red are the tasks that don't. If you are the individual that is really good at sales and relationship building and talking to clients, 
then assign your name to the green and hire out for the red. Yep. I think that's great advice. Yeah. So, How is it now when you when you started scaling your business and making moves and being the top 1%, you know, in the nation and all that stuff, I imagine that bringing in the people was it was a different type of skill set managing the people. So how did you how did you manage that? Yeah, you know, because it's not just you anymore. It's not. You've got you've got a team. And not only that, you a couple things you got to look for. Okay. All right. And I was so I have the best team ever. Yeah. I could not design better people on my team. So they make me good. The first thing, a couple of things you got to look for, though, you got to have somebody with the same intensity of mindset that you have. Like if you are a, like I was talking about earlier, I want as much, I mean, I have a, unf I have an appetite I can't fill. Yeah for production. Yeah. So like I'm working, like I'm in, I am working constantly. I'm always like, I love it. Passionate about it. I, I have high expectations on client service. Like you're, if you're going to be on my team, you're going to have to have gr uh, that same mindset of like, we're going to win. We're number one, Jimmy. Yeah. Like, and they get mad if they see anybody ahead of us on the list. Yeah. Right. They have to have that same mindset of, we, we want to win. Um, and also they have to have the same mindset of excellence. If, if you're a person that believes in excellence and, and details and, you know, when clients come to me, I want them to feel like, I want them to feel like it's the best experience they've ever had in their life. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and if, if your teammates don't have that same philosophy of, of, of mindset and excellence, then it's only going to be frustrating for you. And then the third thing is like in our business, you're probably going to be working on a Saturday yeah, <laughs> or eight o'clock yeah, or, you know, somebody's going to be calling. They're flipping out, you know, whatever all this happened. Oh my gosh. And it's eight o'clock at night and you're going to need to be able to say, yeah, I want that life. Yeah. Right. So if you can't, if, you know, what, I've mentioned Nick Saban twice now, but like he says, like A players want to play with A players. That's it. If you put a D player on an A player's team, D's just gonna get mad because A player they won't they won't they pass won't the play ball. together. Don't want to. They don't yeah. want to play together. Yeah. So if you're thinking about scaling, I think you'd be very slow to add a team member and make sure that they have all of the qualities yeah. that you want. And so yeah, it's critical that you get the right people. And you know, thankfully, you know, my first hire, um, you know, Christy, oh, she, yeah, she's um, great. Yeah. but we interviewed, like I, I interviewed like 20 something people and I had all, I had like all the same questions for each person. And I was like grading out their questions and all that. Yeah. And, you know, uh, it wasn't so much, um, important it wasn't as important to me that they knew the mortgage industry what was important to me was all those intangibles and she had it man that's what yeah that's what i look for like yeah. even like you can you can tell like who's going to really make it just in my field being real estate agent you know you can tell who's going to make it because they have the qualities skills can be taught right you can't change someone's character right. their work ethic their passion their 
strive for excellence, yeah. you know, the tenacity right. of want to take those calls yeah. at eight o'clock. That's what I was going to say too, is, you know, everyone thinks that, that we get to choose our own hours, right? <laughs> it, it, don't you get to choose? Oh, your, yeah. 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 I, I, I think the best way I've been able to answer that is like, I work when no one else works because pretty much that's it. Well, anyway, I'm always working. That's the it. reality is you're always working. You're always, even, even if it's on, uh, you're just going to a social event on a Saturday night, there are people around you, they want to talk about, hey, what are interest rates doing? You know, you, so what? you're always, you, you kind of always, you know, if you're good and if you're known and you're branding, I mean, you kind of always yeah. are always working. I, so I want to talk about, since, when, since you just mentioned that, that we're always working, which I, I agree with, how do you manage the work-life balance? Yeah, because I have my own take on that, but I, I am I'm dying to hear yours. Well, you know, a lot of people have tried to coach me on you got a time block yeah. and you got to do this. And I, I just. It works for some people, but I can't do that. Yeah. So I. Uh, when my, my wife calls me or text me. She, I answer no matter what's going on. Yeah. I come, I try to wrap up my day at the office, you know, uh, uh, so I can be home for dinner. And during dinner time, you know, we, we still have dinner as a family, yeah. right? So we sit around um, and, you know, the phone is off during dinner. Like, uh, you know, look, there's no real estate emergency that's going to happen that you have to, you know, tell your wife and kids, I can't talk to you right now. I got to handle this. Like there's not that big of an emergency agree. that should, should, should make you do that. Yeah. So if we're doing that in our industry, we need to stop. Yeah. Right. So there, there are times where I'm putting that phone down and my family gets all my attention. Right. So there are times where you're just going to have to wait. And usually it's the time between like five to seven at night. Yeah. Right. Cause that's, that's dedicated family time every, every night. Um, but you know, on the weekends I'm doing stuff with my family or taking my kid to where he wants to go and all that. And I let realtors know and clients know if you want to reach me, you can on a Saturday or a Sunday and you'll call and I'll see you call. But if I'm you know, in the middle of playing football with my kid, I might just say, hey, I'll call you back in about 10 minutes, you know. Yeah. And, and but, you know, so one of the things you should never do is like your your kids talking to you and you see a phone call come in and you do this to them. To your kid. So you can, you know, answer a call about is the appraisal ordered or not. Right. Never do that. So I learned that, you know, I think it's important um, to do that. But as far as like, Time blocking is very hard because yeah. I, I don't, it's almost impossible. There are a lot of people that can pull let, it off. Let me ask it a different way with work-life balance. How do you stop yourself? Because you're you're an achiever. You, yeah. You're a go, 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 right? Right. And you want to, the sky's the limit. Well, now we're in space. Let's figure out how far we can go, right? That's the type of person you are. How do you balance the the other things in life from the achieving? Like the desire to achieve versus, you know, the home life. 
uh because my wife is like you better achieve (laughs) (laughs) she's like what is this you know what are you doing here you know so like it turns out a team fixes a lot of things yeah right right? so the team does help me but like again work-life balance like my wife is in my camp she's like we want to succeed right too like she's there so i remember one time (laughs) i remember one time you know about it was a while back. It was about seven years ago. And God, the pipeline was down. I had a couple down months. And I remember just, it was like a Saturday or something. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this might be a, this might be a tough month because we don't have anything in the pipeline. And she looked at me and she's like, well, what are you doing here then? Like, what? I mean, like, what do you think you need to do? I said, well, maybe I should just go out and just start, you know, meeting some realtors at open houses and just kind of introducing myself. She goes, well, if that's what it takes for, for you to, you know, make your numbers or whatever, or, you know, pay the house payment or whatever, then you need to go do that. So I think it's important that your family also understands that, that if you're in sales, especially if you're commissioned, that you're, you're not in an, an eight to five job or nine to five job. Right. So there are times where. You have to take a Sunday and go out and hustle. Or in your case, I got to show homes on Saturday. That's night. it. All right. Yeah. So uh, your family has to be bought into that. But also, there are times where, like, you can say to your family, and you need to do this. Things are pretty good. My team's got it. The next two days, we're going to go off to, you know, we're going to drive up to Nashville and have a good fun time. Yeah. yeah. And during that time, you know, would redirect my calls to my team. It is it is good to have a team. Oh yeah. Yeah. But you gotta you just gotta, you know, you gotta you gotta make sure you have some checks and balances in there or else you may you may be all this huge massive production and just fail at home and you can't do that. Yeah, because so. uh, mine um I make the mistake a lot of like it's all or nothing. It has to be, you know, <laughs> and like that that check and balance, you know, and, and my fiance helps me keep check, you know. Like as far as, you know, making sure that I'm taking care of myself and stuff too, right. you know, because I'll run ragged. I'll work 14 hours a day. Right. I love what I do. Right. You know, and it doesn't feel like work, but at the same time, it's like when you've got bags under your eyes right. and you're running off three hours of sleep for the past week, you know. That's not good. No, it's not good. But, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you can't do it all. Like you can't be a high achiever and have work-life balance and have, you know, good well-being. I refuse to that's that. a That's a I lie. Refuse. You yeah. can. Yeah. You can. I'm an evidence. I'll get, you know, yeah. Good work-life balance. Now, I could do better, you know, from a health standpoint, right? Yeah. I, mean, I gotta be working out. I gotta get that going again. <laughs> but I mean, like, yeah. you can do it. You can carve out your day. You can yeah. do it, uh, and you can have a, an amazing, successful career in sales. You can have a, a wonderful work-life balance. You can have a good, healthy, you know, body and mindset, and eat yeah. right and all that. We're totally capable of doing that as humans. I think it's just intention. It is. And, and it's your priorities. Right. Like, it's like if your number one priority from the time you wake up, time you go to bed, is to close a deal, that's all you're going to be focused on. Yeah. If your priority is to have a great life and close a deal, you're probably going to get the yeah. best of both worlds. Yeah. I think, I mean, I don't know. I think if people are like neglecting their, their family life, they probably would neglect it whether they got a lot of production or not. I agree. Yeah. I agree with that. So moving forward with Guild, like what is your, do you have any big plans or I'm sure, I know you got goals. We always talk yeah. about Grand Achiever, but where are you, where are you going with it? 
That's a great question. Um, you know, because I, you're your number one market share in our area. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that you yes. check that box yes. and you have been for how many years? I guess in the last three years. Yeah, last, last three, three years. years. So, I mean, so got to stay good. consistent with that. But I, I know you got some things in your pocket. Like, where, yeah. where do you want to go? So, you know, I uh, could probably, I would like to grow the local team, maybe one or two more people. Yeah. But it's important to me to never upset. I mean, we have amazing culture. Yeah. So it has to be the right person. Uh, from a from a personal standpoint, what I've enjoyed, I just started coaching um, in 2023, and I absolutely loved it. Yeah. So, like I've I've seen how how helpful it is to give back to people in my industry. You got a lot. I got a. Not Does it feel selfish to you, almost? Like when you're giving, because I almost like, and I know that's a weird question, yeah, it right? Is. Yeah, it is a weird <laughs> question. What I mean by that is, is like, I almost get more out of watching someone knowing I played a small part in that yeah, than they do. And yeah. they don't even realize it. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. It's totally self, it's totally fulfilling yeah. to know that you've yeah. helped somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess if, the, yeah, but, but it's not selfish because like, I'll, I'll, I don't care if you work at Guild or not. I would love to be able to share my secrets yeah. with a loan officer and help them you know, achieve their goals. Or a realtor. Yeah. Right? If we're not that far removed from what we need to do to be successful. No. Um, so I do like that. Now, I want to outproduce. Obviously, 2023 was a hard year. It's like one of the worst years in our, in our industry in the last 30 years. From a production, from a loan officer standpoint, it's a lot harder than a realtor standpoint. So this was our, two, you know, because 2023, 2008, we had the backstop of the government giving us low rates and HARP and all this, and we could refine. Do all that. 2023, the government wanted to shut down the lending business, right? Yeah. They raised rates to oh, you know, eight percent. The rates got raised to eight percent. Yeah, you know, so like after two years of people seeing two and three percent rates, they they literally almost shut down the business. So it was very difficult. For the mortgage, a mortgage, you know, salesperson to be successful, very difficult. I think a lot of people don't realize too is that from a just closed volume standpoint, we're the same numbers as 08, 09, 2010, like in our market. Oh yeah. I mean, it's 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 a lot. Yeah, it's kinda, it's out there. Yeah, it's out there, but like a lot of people have not survived 2023. No, I think one of the one of the best statements I've heard in a long time that I like fully agree with like just a general view of what's going on is the the silent depression like no one's talking about it right but it, it's it's there yeah so. and um so I'm looking forward to I think we're on the end of about the end of that yeah we're about you know at the tail end of all this yeah. craziness and this inflation and your rates are going to come back down but what I and I think there's a big pinup demand for housing so I'm excited about like kicking ass again. Yes, me too. Right? Yes. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think my team kicked ass in 2023, like because it was so hard and we actually did great. Yeah. And you know, it's it's easy to do good when you can get a loan, walk into your mailbox, you know, her, hey, Mr. Neighbor, I heard Rachel 3%. Yeah, yeah, you may help you out. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's how easy it was. Like yeah. people could just literally call 10 people 
and get five deals in 2020 and 2023. Yeah. I mean, 2020 and 2021. 2022 started the correction. 2023, a lot of people left the business because, again, what were we talking about? They didn't even know the fundamentals. They lost the fundamentals, never were taught the fundamentals, and weren't wow. doing the fundamentals. Yeah. And then when you need to rely on relationships and the pie is smaller, I don't know how to get business. And they're like, That's this about, business is not for me. Well, most loan officers. Which is great and, for me. Yeah, yeah, but most loan officers and realtors, like, or especially realtors, they thought it was normal to put a sign in the yard and people line up to buy it. <laughs> when I got in the business, the average days on market were like 120, 130. Right, I'm like, is this is normal. the weirdest thing right. I've ever seen. Right. You know? Housing supply, it, it, normal housing supply is like six months of housing supply. Yes, yeah. Like we have two right now. Yeah. So there's just, but, but uh, I think... Um, I, I think what was cool about 2023, I see it as a blessing, is me and my team realized again what we're made of. Yeah. Like when you know this business is cyclical and you realize what you're made of in those downswings, am I really good at what I do? Like, do, do, do people really want to do business with me because they like me or they trust me or because they think I've got a good you know, system or product yeah. or personality, or whatever. In those downturns when business are really hard to get and you're still, you know, achieve, you know, a high level of production, that's where you can take to the bank. Yeah, I'm pretty, I survived that. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, Rocky, right? You knocked me down and I'm still here in the 12th round and I'm about to kick your ass. Yeah. So that's how I feel like 2024 is. Yeah. It's like, okay, economy, econ, you know, 8% rates, slowdown in housing, all this stuff, lack of inventory. That was a pretty good shot. Yeah. But now I'm ready to give it back to you. Because I think, yeah. And I just, that's where I feel 2024 is like. I think there's a lot of opportunity coming up. Yeah. I, I really do. And I'm excited for it. I am too. So yeah. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about what's going to happen uh, in 2024, helping as many clients as we can, helping as many realtors grow as we can, coaching as many loan officers. So, you know, I don't ever really, I kind of have a number in my mind, but I don't really like attach my goals to like a specific number. It's more of like, uh, these are the activities that I'm going to make sure that, that I do. Um, so my measurement of success are, are you doing these activities on a daily basis, a hundred percent of the time? And then I have you, you know, I have my juice when I have one little piece of juice, I think I'm going to add in 2024. I'm excited about, but you'll hear about that. Yeah. This is part of my juice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. This is cool. Yeah. Yeah. This is fun. So it's yeah. fun, man. I think we have, a, I think we, I think we're through the worst of it and that it should excite a lot of people that work in our industry i know um and you know 2023 is a rough year i i think that a lot of people don't realize how much opportunity there was in 2023 yes because it's not it's not the people like a common thing i heard with realtors is like it's finally all these new ones are getting out and we have less competition for one i don't really believe in competition um i just i don't i think you kind of control your own destiny and you decide what you're you talked about the process right and doing what you're supposed to do right um but with that i i think that it becomes easier to be excellent like you talked about that drive to be excellent mm -hmm. like 
all you have to do is the fundamentals and you become leaps and bounds better than anyone else. Yeah. What did we just say earlier? 94% (laughs) of people don't call their partners on a weekly basis. Like what is wrong with you? Like what has happened to our, our, our uh, work ethic almost, you know, it's, I don't think it's just in our industry. I think it's all salespeople. It's just, we got lazy in 2020 and 2021. Things things were too good for too long. Yes. Yeah. Like way too good, like way too easy. Right. And so like my prediction for like my industry is like, and I think even yours is skills and value add. That's what's going to dominate. Yeah. Like, and I think the skills more than anything and it's like the fundamentals and understanding the business and just the work, like just do the work. Those people who, in 2023 continued the the to build relationships and yeah. continue to work and craft and hone and get better 2024 is going to be amazing for them Great. those people that sat on their hands because they were scared uh and questioning their abilities and decided i you know i don't know if I, this business is for me they're going to struggle yeah right you just can't switch it on um, and the industry, you know, you, you only, only time in our industry where you can switch it on is when you go through those boom cycles yeah. that last maybe a year or two. Yeah. That's easy. Yeah. Right. You don't have to be, it's just an easier, an easier environment. But, but, um, so those people that down in the downturn, you know, got better at their skill set and job and continued to see it as an opportunity to build market share, they're going to have a great year. Yes. Yeah, it's the relationships. Yeah. That's what we're in. A lot yeah. of people think sales is convincing somebody. It's not. It's just relationships. It that's is. all it is. Yeah. I think that's a good place to stop, man, because I feel yeah. like we could we could go on forever. I do got or I do have some questions all I right. want to ask you because yeah. I, I think the people want to know. Um, what is your favorite book? My favorite book. Golly. Okay, so fiction. Okay. I love um I would say, have uh, you ever uh, Shogun? Not familiar. All right. Yeah. So, amazing story, amazing, amazing book. Um, I love that. Nonfiction, there's a couple out there. Uh, Think and Grow Rich is a fantastic, like, yeah. book to get you motivated and, and thinking you can accomplish goals and all that. Yeah, I read the Bible on a daily basis. So, I guess those three, I guess. Okay. All right. We'll roll with that, man. If you could have dinner with anyone, past, present, or future, who oh, would it be? Oh gosh! Uh, I don't even know how I would answer. That I know. Much, but. I I would love to sit down. And ha- I, I'm a homer. I'd love to sit down and have dinner with Nick Saban. Okay. I'd love to hear. That's the every third or fourth time you mentioned his name, dude. Yeah, dude, yeah. he is a <laughs> genius at processes and and motivation and excellence and all that. And of course, he's a coach in my favorite football team. Yeah. So. Roll Tide, yeah. What's your favorite food? Ooh, all right, so I'm a sucker for a good steak, a good cheeseburger. Um, but like my my uh, evil habit are dots pretzels. You're kidding me. I'm totally addicted to them. Okay, all right. I would not expect. I totally addicted to yeah. them. I would not expect that. Last one before we go. So this entire, the, the whole point of the podcast is to figure out, you know, how you did what you did. Right. You know, and so we kind of figured that out. But what is your why? And is it the same today as it was when you first started? Yeah, no, that's a, you know, I think it changes. Yeah. Um, 
again, when we talked earlier, my why in the beginning was uh, I had to pay the bills, yeah. survive. Um, then it, and then it, and then it evolved into, I want to win. I want to see my name at the top of the list to see what I'm made of. Yeah. And now, um, in this stage of, of accomplishing those things, just so you know, um, on a side note, getting to be number one, it's, is not as fulfilling as you think, by the way, right? Getting to a certain level of production. It's not. You're looking up at there and you're like, oh, if I could ever achieve that and you achieve it, you're like, ah. so I've kind of realized that. And now it's more of like, I want to set up uh, almost like a, uh, it's like in a give back legacy type situation. So my why is like, I want to still continue to achieve and all that, but I'm really wanting to like, I'm watching my kids grow and I want to set things up for them. So my why is about making sure that they're on the right path for life. And then, you know, the team that works for me and the LOs that I manage and coach, I want to, I want to like pour into them and, and make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm helping them to achieve the greatness. And even the realtors that I work with, you know, I was like, I want to make sure. So it's more of like my why went from my why has evolved. Yeah, I need it because I got to pay the bills to where now I want to see what I can achieve now to I'm ready to like establish a legacy and give back to people. Awesome. I think that wraps it up. Man. Yeah, I think we figured out how you did it. I think so. <laughs> I, at least, I, you know, we got a good idea. Oh, I enjoyed it, man.